Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under and uh, what an episode we have in store today, I think. Um, joining me, as always, I have Dan. How are you, Dan? Oh, I could certainly be better after the weekend, <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, and also joining us, we have Logan. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Alex. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's uh, certainly plenty to talk about and we will start with probably the bigger news, arguably bigger news, I guess, which was the... Um, the article by The Athletic, which dropped uh, Monday night, our time, I think it was, uh, which was pretty groundbreaking because I think it's almost, it's, it's probably the first time that the national press have really put such a magnifying glass on all of the actions of the alums at the club. And the article itself is a really painful read because it all just rings completely true. But I guess the most fascinating aspect of it was the fact that the club itself sort of broke the news and in some ways actually offered up more of the dirty details than the article actually did because their faulty redacting of the of the um, dot points didn't work out too well. But um, I'll, I'll start with you, Logan. I don't know if, if either of you had the chance to read the article itself or just the dot points or, or a combination of the two. But Logan, reading through a lot of this information, um, how did it make you feel and uh, what did you make of, of the sort of, I guess, would you call them accusations or <laughs> recounting of events? Look, I think the, the one thing that it, it remains consistent in all of this, and it's, it's very easy as football fans to be extremely irrational and we set high expectations every week and hope that the team will go out and perform in a certain way. But as, as you mentioned, Alex, with that article, if we're going back to uh, you know 2010, I believe, when the Alums took over, there has been this consistent pattern of uh, they came in with this optimistic feel and everything was going to be rosy and they were there giving back to the community. And then we've seen that that downward spiral. Um, in, in that, um, it's worth mentioning, we have also had some incredible highs on the pitch. But the trustworthiness of the Alums entirely is uh, has got to the point where it's very difficult for even the most optimistic uh, city supporter to still be on board with them. So I guess the first thing that you have to say about the article is when you're trusting uh, reporters and, um, and you know, papers with their uh, information and almost assume that before the club says anything, that there's an accuracy about that that you would trust more than, uh, you know, from the horse's mouth in your club, I think that probably sums up the state of affairs we're in. Um, and if you go through the the article, I'm sure that we we will at length and and pull out some of the key uh, sticking points, things about uh, player contracts and you know people being told to play for free and all those kind of um, finite finite details. It really just gives this snapshot of um, of doom and gloom. And uh, I mean, you see a lot of people on the on the forums talking about we're going down, but when you kind of take a, a step back and look at the the whole picture it's it's really hard to see anything but when you assume that the the club is being run like a basket case and you almost ask, have to ask that question of the players is what are they playing for yeah yeah absolutely um as you you sort of touched on there um the player contracts in particular with lehigh irvine kingsley being told mid-session I believe last week that their services were no longer required by the club um, 
Dan, sort of following on from that point from Logan about what are the players playing for, it's sort of ironic, I guess, when you look at the comments from McGann last week about, you know, only wanting committed players at the club. Leaving aside, and we'll talk about the game itself, leaving aside the fact he started four lone players, so you kind of question, where's their commitment to the club? But in terms of Lehigh, Irvine and Kingsley, um, what do you sort of make of this information about the fact that they were basically asked to play for free and then sacked mid-session during training? Um, yeah, it's, it's not a good look, is it? Like, just to be honest, like we've, I mean, we mentioned it last week about them and them being, you know, the club captain, the vice captain, our longest serving player, you know, and just to, to be, I mean, to be let, let go so unceremoniously, like in, in that fashion that pretty sure i read like the playing like no one had any idea that, that mm. was happening that like the, the the bosses turn up and everyone's training and then all of a sudden you know pull the captain and the vice captain aside and and they and they pack their bags and go like that's pretty it's pretty harsh um and it's sort of like logan was saying that even the most optimistic of supporters are you know going to find it hard to find the positives in in, in this whole scenario and i'm sitting there going yeah you, you, you're pretty right because i was thinking i think i I've been pretty lenient on the Allens as a whole. I think, like, throughout this, I've tried to give them the benefit of the doubt probably more often than was deserved. But I think, I think as you point out, Alex, when you read through some of these this information that's come out, it really is just it's just damning. And like, I think the fact that they're banning the press, yeah, like that's like a big that that's a point where you know that they know they're doing the wrong thing. They yeah. know they're doing things that that they don't need that they don't want to get reported and so the the uh, not necessarily the only paper but that hold it you know daily mail is doing trying to do the right thing they're trying to you know report on what's happening and that's being classed as negative media which is yeah it's just in, it's it's just insanity um on so many levels like we've talked about their the way they go about um, re-signing players and that same like system where we we have lots and lots of players all all of their deals expiring at the same time you know and and that leads to mass losses at the end of the season um, or like an exodus of players and, and we do this over and over and over and again like you know that definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results and that's pretty much it just seems to be alum house to a T. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. I think um, all of us, and I guess there's also, we've got that benefit of um, distance that we can probably more rationally than some in the UK um, try and assess things with some level of balance. And, and we're, we're, I would say this podcast is generally quite positive. We always do try and look for the reasons of why things would be done a particular way. We'll look at why the com- uh, 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 um, concessions were scrapped. We'll look at why um, they were charging for the streaming service as soon as recently as last week so i think we've always been quite uh fair in that sense or some would say too fair to the alums um but then when we do occasionally encroach on negativity much like the hull daily mail that would be viewed as negative press so at the end of the day the hull daily mail or a newspaper they're meant to be reporting the facts they're meant to be reporting the situation if that's positive it's great if it's negative it's not so great and they have to do their jobs and to be in a to be in a um, an organisation that's effectively banned the free press, that's you know bordering on a dictatorial state. So, um, 
I guess for me, the most alarming story, well, one of the most alarming, I mean, there was a lot of alarming stories in there, but one of the most alarming stories about the state of the relationship between Ehab and Steve Bruce back in 2016 was when one of Bruce's backroom staff had, I think, I think it came out to his, he had a sick mother. I think she had cancer or something like that. I don't think the details are that necessary, but he wanted to take leave to look after her. And Bruce said, yep, that's fine. Paid leave, all of that, as is right. Um, and Ehab tried to get the kid, the kid to take unpaid leave. And Ehab actually, in the midst of that argument, sacked Bruce. And, of course, then later unsacked him. But it just sort of speaks to the mindset of the man that, you know, somebody wanting to take sick leave to look after their mother or, or take, you know, carer's leave to look after their mother was denied um, a wage in doing so. Um, Logan... That story in particular, other stories, what, what shocked you most out of the article? Look, I, I don't know if I'm going on a segue here, but I just, while we're on the, the whole Australian angle and mm. how you mentioned about being, uh, you know, disconnected somewhat, um, although we, we obviously wake up at uh, unruly hours to be able to watch the games, I think uh, for me, there was a personal disappointment when I saw the announcement that Jackson Irvine in particular yep. uh, wasn't returning to play. and Didn't get a final game. That's, and my initial response was, oh, that's got to be something on his end or whether it was chasing money. And, and I kind of felt a little bit uh, stupid about it, it when I took a step back and realized, well, actually, that's not the kind of player that, that we know, uh, particularly yeah. here from how we've seen him in the Socceroos. I mean, with all, all due respect to Jackson Irvine, he, he's a workman. He's, he's a hardworking player and he's definitely got a uh, caliber that suits the championship. Uh, that's, there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, he's he's not anywhere near the caliber of player that we have had at City in recent times. If you compare yeah. him to a, a Snodgrass, a, a Bowen Grzycki, and Andes, whoever whoever those those main stars are, and it's it's the fact now that we've actually moved on from even forgetting about those big stars and knowing that they're no longer part of the city plans. But even someone like Jackson Irvine, who, as we said, has, you know, had endeared himself to the whole fans and had even reached the, you know, the captaincy standpoint for him to uh, be, you know, grouped into those contracts. It tells us a lot about the situation because we have that familiarity with the type of player he is. Yeah. And we know he is the type of player who will just roll his sleeves up and get the job done. So if even he, been turned away um that's kind of the the telltale sign for me just to show uh, all of us just how bad the state is that the club really is being running and and another thing that actually concerns me more is the amount of times we've we've become familiar with ahab coming out and uh, making one of those announcements and putting together one of those 10 or 15 <laughs> minutes videos talking about bridging the gap with the fans and wanting to you know put the put the past behind them and then something like this comes out and it is just a, a, another nail in the coffin of, of, of the city dream of, of, of the club at present, just overall. But uh, certainly staying up just feels uh, like the, the truly impossible task when it's almost like we've lost the culture. It's not that we've lost the playing group. Uh, and, and that's a really sad state of affairs. And it was, it was interesting. Um, uh, I think it was Richard Gardham, the author of, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it now. It's, it's a great great book and i'm gonna keep myself there i forgot it um uh, the decade of course um author of the decade was tweeting about all of this and how sad it made him feel and, and i responded and it was in a way a really interesting sort of occurrence where reading this article reading all of this fallout made me so angry at the club and i realized 
this is the most angry I've been about football, the most frustrated, the most angry I've been about football in a long time. And, you know, as, as, as disappointed as I was against, uh, with the match against Charlton on the weekend, I think it was more, a, it's a disappointment, but it's, it's not a surprising result that we had on the weekend. Whereas, so it's almost as if the, the failings of the club or the, the lack of success at the club has become so ingrained that we just sort of accept it and it's just unsurprising to us that it takes something like this to really jolt you out of that and realize hang on I've just become accustomed to this I've become so apathetic to this situation it takes something like this to really make you feel anger and make you feel something again and it's just it's just an incredible situation because you always think and there's been so many of these situations we always think nothing could surprise us about the alums now and then there's always something new that does take us to that next level of of anger and frustration at at their ownership um Another story that kind of jumped out at me was with Marco Silva, where Ehab sort of bragged about, especially when we were looking at hiring um, Leonard Slutsky, he sort of bragged about the fact that he was not going for the um, the merry-go-round of English has-beens in management and that he was looking further afield uh, and pointing to Silva as this big success story that he'd brought into the club. And we find out that Silva actually applied for the job um, shortly after Bruce left and his application was just completely ignored until his agent personally travelled up to Yorkshire and basically <laughs> pled his case to Mark, uh, to Ehab in person. And even then, um, the deal almost fell over because they tried to underpay the agent. And it was only... It, some of these stories, I just... I, you know, you almost think, how much worse could we have been if not for, you know, some other people being incredibly patient and incredibly willing to work with um, Ehab more so than than you'd think is reasonable. Um, Dan, what what do you make of stories like that? It just, I don't know, when I see that, like particularly about Silva, I think if he'd have come in at the beginning of that season, I reckon we would have have, um, survived. We would have stayed in the Premier League that year. Um, Such was his impact in the six months that he was there. He almost managed it in in, in such dire straits that we were then. He almost managed to... um, you know, we only need to pick up a couple of extra wins out of those games. And, you know, there were many winnable games in that first half of the season. Um, but, oh, that, you know, things like that blow my mind. But just, I think just generally, and there was, um, like, even the, the with the takeover in 2016 and, and Peter Greaves and then um, Assam just basically went, oh, I think I don't actually really want to sell the club. Yeah. <laughs> like well so that and, this, and so it's actually you know you talk about that premier league season it, it, it and we were sort of talking about it in the in the um chat the other night but you almost wonder should we more of hope to lose that final at wembley would actually not making it to the premier league have been better off if he would have actually sold the club yeah i don't know i think it, it makes for an interesting uh like an interesting talking point i guess it's one of those you know we'll never really know but mm. um it's it's probably it's probably a valid uh, like argument about and a valid question that he you know without going up and without then you know reaping the the rewards again of the Premier League that perhaps you know perhaps had we not had we not come into all that extra money um, you know maybe maybe he could have had his head turned enough to to relinquish the club. But it seems to be this weird, like, I don't know, maybe it's still just, I don't know, naivety on my part or something, but it seems like there's a big, even between, like, Assam and Ehab, this huge disparity in their, like, uh, actions towards and opinions about the club. 
seems like they're obviously like together but they seem like you see what like the things that he's that the one says and then the things that the other do and they don't necessarily always seem to line up like perfectly if you know what i mean it's really it's just strange like i don't know maybe he's i don't know yeah, and, and I guess um, before we move on to the game, and I guess this question sort of feeds into that anyway, but I'll ask each of you, I guess starting with Logan, if we if we are to get relegated to League One, do you see the Alums as still sort of clinging on to the club? Because we sort of, um, in the group, talked about the fact that with things like this and becoming so much more of a quote-unquote banter club, it feels like we're a new Blackpool in the sense that the owners just absolutely despise the club, despise the fans, and just want to see it suffer. Do you see them hanging on to the club even in League One, or do you think the complete lack of money in League One, the complete lack of any television money, parachute payments or anything, would mean that the fact that they'd then be digging into their own pockets just to fund the club, do you think that could force them to finally sell? I think the only thing that we can predict in this situation is that it's going to be horrific. It's going to be predictably bad. And it's like only the Alums can do is they can turn uh, something that seemingly looks so positively into something that can just be discarded as proper waste. So uh, whatever they end up doing with it, it will be done in a in a horrific manner. However, um, I do think that the, the latter, as you mentioned, I think they will actually finally uh, move on from the club once, uh, well, if, uh, the the fate in League One is sealed, and uh, they just won't be the funding. I think if we're actually to be uh, realistic around the the money that they've recouped from the players that have been sold, um, it probably is enough of a position for them to cut their losses, uh, whatever they claim those losses are, and and walk. So I think if we do get uh, relegated, they will be gone. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I'd have to agree. Like whatever they reckon that the club owes them at the moment in terms of finances if we go down the, the chances of them you know they're going to essentially just have to kind of cut their hopefully you know fingers it's, it seems weird to be saying fingers crossed <laughs> that we go down and we, and we get new owners but um you know it, it, i just you know that they're saying oh we you know the club still owes us whatever it is 30 million pounds or something you know that's how much we put in that we want back or and uh, you know as logan was sort of alluding to in terms of finances in the different divisions like if we go to, it's just not there in in league one and they're just they're, they're not going to be able to recoup and it's just going to be all they're just going to be spending so I, I feel like that's probably where they'll hopefully hopefully that's where they'll be at we'll, we if we get relegated i mean hopefully they just cut their losses either way that would be like pref- preferential but um yeah yeah, I mean, I saw one of the responses to the article was somebody saying, well, you know, at least you're not a Sunderland supporter. And I think I'd be quite happy to be a Sunderland supporter next season in comparison to where I think we will be. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be a very interesting situation. Uh, there's still, I guess the way they could look at it is, look, there's still some players at the club with some value. You've got Device, um, you've got um, Keen Lewis Potter, uh, Lopez, things like that, where they could potentially get a fee for them. But I think at that point, you're sort of clutching at straws if you're holding on to the club just for those final few players. But um, we, w- we will move on and talk about the result on the weekend, which was a very, very, very disappointing loss to Charlton in a 1-0 defeat. And I think probably the most disappointing aspect was that it was 1-0. It wasn't even 2-1 or something like that. We just... I, I can't remember the stat, but it's been quite a while since we've scored a goal even and um, it just looks like we can't even muster up a decent showing against um, a fellow relegation candidate at home so 
Um, I'll start with you, Logan. Um, I guess any positives to take out of the game? Any players that looked good? Um, I think probably the the story of McDonald starting is a is a pretty good one. Yeah, that's that was probably all I was going to say. That's the 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 uh, the, the golden cheek in, in in what was otherwise a, an incredibly um, dire performance. But yeah, having McDonald back, um, I mean, I guess uh, we we thought and we kind of rode that battle with him uh, as he was diagnosed with cancer and um, to to see a player return in in reasonably quick fashion, yeah. um, given the fact of the severity, is, uh, it was a fantastic effort and probably a testament to how hard he's worked behind the scenes. Um, and so to see that there's there's players of his caliber with his work ethic uh, to be able able to overcome uh, such a, a traumatic experience and, and health uh, scare and risk to return in the way he did, I think that was um, yeah definitely the only positive that can be taken away from from Saturday. Uh, Dan, did you have any any other positives or yeah just um, just McDonald? Um, look, I think I actually think Bowler actually played really well apart from. If he could, if he had end product, <laughs> I, I, would, I would rate him about a seven or eight out of ten yeah. in the game. Yeah. But he was just so wasteful at almost every. He got in behind so many times that, and that was really good. And that was really that he was the most the most dynamic player in that aspect for an extended period of the game. You know, Terrell started the first five or ten minutes and and pulled them apart, and then. I think they just moved a player onto him and he was completely taken out of the game, which was very disappointing. Um, but, yeah, I think, apart from, yeah, apart from McDonald, I thought Bowler was, was good, but but lacking end product. I think what was good about, my, my point take on McDonald was that after so long, you could see, you could actually see that he was rusty, but he still looked way better than half of our team. <laughs> yeah. Like, he hasn't played in, like, two years and he still was one of the best um, on the park, so you know, one, if he can actually get stay in there with and get a run of these last few games, he could be a crucial crucial cog in in our wheel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know, grasping at straws a little bit, but probably the only other positives I could draw were that so I thought Scott looked really good when he came on, as did um, Samuelson. Both probably a little bit rusty and similar to McDonald, but um, I think Wilkes Wilkes was a really strange one, especially if we're not going to keep him beyond this Birmingham game. I I, I sort of alluded to before if if McGann's big thing is you know having players that want to be here. And granted, Wilkes might want to be here, but if he's not going to be a City player after the Birmingham game, I think we need to be focusing on the players that will be here and getting a sort of consistent side out. Um, one one question I had for both of you, I guess, is what did you make of the fact that we could make five subs? Because personally, I felt like it almost it almost worked against us because um, I don't know whether it meant that McGann might have started with players who he planned to sub off at a particular point or um, maybe more so with someone like a Scott or a Lewis Potter. He, he deliberately started them on the bench knowing he could bring them on. It I, it almost felt like it disrupt, disrupt. Not that we had much rhythm to begin with, but it disrupted any sort of rhythm that we were going to be able to get. Because five subs, you're basically changing half your team. Um, Logan, did you see any sort of impact from that? In in the particular Charlton game, I, it didn't worry me too much, and I didn't really feel that there was a, a huge impact in the game. With that being said, it, it does concern me moving forward. Uh, I, I genuinely think that with the lack of depth that we do have at City and likelihood that uh, that Terrell will probably find himself injured this weekend, 
um, as he as he often does. Uh, it, it it does concern me that some of the the games for the run in um, may actually leave us very thin when you consider that some of the teams that we will be playing will have far deeper squads than us, and and we may be hurt as a result. Yeah, that's a fair point. I hadn't even thought of it from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, if teams are able to bring on. Um, talented fresh players to run at us in the final 15 minutes or 20 minutes we're going to be in a bit of trouble um dan how did you see it and and i guess the rotations in the side in that second half um yeah i don't know i think like as as sort of logan said like in terms of in in the context of that game did it have an impact positive or negative not really it just sort of seemed like it it was something that happened it it really felt like watching a preseason game like it was so we were just at really, really average. Um, I think in, in a different game, um, and I th- yeah, it, it, I think it could. It could have a really big impact on the game. But it, it, that depends on McCann either either forcing it to, like, or forcing it to have that impact one way or the other. Um, and I just, I don't know whether it really, really actually does have the tactical nous to mm. pull that off. Um it felt like earlier in the season when we had a, a decent run going that maybe he did have a bit of, you know, but I think now we can basically see he was just, it was Bowen and Grizzly who were just, <laughs> just car- carrying, carrying, us, yeah. carrying us along on their shoulders or coattails, whichever you um, mm. want. But um, yeah, and now we're really starting to see since basically since January how, like I like McCann, but how like tactically inept he seems to be. He seems unwilling to make change to the to the structure of the system. Seems basically unwilling to change. Like he's he's picked the eleven that he wants basically, and and if form be damned essentially. Um, so yeah, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to make the most of it. I think there are definitely managers in the championship who will be able to take advantage of that five subs. Um, you know, obviously relying on things like depth, like that Logan mentioned, but. Yeah, um, I don't know. I guess it's an interesting experiment. I can't see it like I can't see them extending it um, beyond this this season. It's obviously just special circumstance, but yeah. Um, and then I guess so, Logan. Uh, what was probably the most frustrating aspect of the game for you? What what um, what frustrated you the most in this one? Yeah, I think Dan touched on it before with um, with uh, Josh Bowler with the, just some of the the positions that we were able to kind of uh, get get ourselves into, and then the the end product was just lacking. Uh, he, as Dan mentioned as well, that it felt like a preseason game, uh, every every aspect. And and let's remember that that Charlton weren't great. In fact, they were were, were dismal. And to be able to come to the KCOM and and sneak a result um, probably lends more to just how poor Weep were. Um, than than how good they were because I certainly think they were far from it and they did look like a team that uh, is also struggling for uh, you know for survival, but I think that if it, if there is anything to take out of it, one of the things that confuses me greatly is the uh, the presence of George Honeyman. I just I, I don't <laughs> see what the what the appeal is and yeah. I, I think back to he's what, a bundle what, of energy but doesn't really do much with it. <laughs> I think back to the success earlier in the season, and granted, we did have Bowen and Grzycki who were, were well largely uh, responsible for that. But one thing that we were sleeping on is the ability of Stewart to pop up in midfield, and, and I think he was leading the championship for interceptions at that time. And it was just that uh, that free flowing play of, of being able to to change the momentum, steal the ball, and and find those wide outlets. 
um, and we really captured teams on the back foot. And I just, I, I just can't see how playing through Honeyman, we're going to be able to foster anything of the like. And and as Dan mentioned, there is players like uh, Baller and, and Samuelson who who may be the type of players who can get into those areas. But um, it's it certainly concerns me what's happening, particularly in the spine of our, our side at the moment. Yeah, I think um, following on from that point, um, for me, it was seeing Eves dropping into into that space in front of Terrell and um, then Kane later in the game where um, he was just sort of getting in the way of our midfield and was just so ineffective. And you want your striker, especially your big striker, to be on the end of the crosses and in the box getting on the end of chances. And he just wasn't able to do that at all. He just had a really probably probably one of the worst games that I've seen Eves play for the club and I don't mean that with any disrespect because I really like Eves and really rate him but it was just a really disappointing game from him um Dan what was what was your most disappointing aspect of the game um I think honestly just the manner in which we conceded mm. like it was of such an easily defendable so predictable um, Yes, easily defendable, so set predictable base. that we would concede from a from a set piece yeah. in such a manner that Long comes, flaps at the cross and, and pushes it, you know, straight into the striker. Our, our man on the back post charges off his, away from his position and then they're able to tap it in, like, behind him and you go, what? Just, like, I just, <laughs> it blew my mind watching it and then I saw the replay and, I, and just watched everything unfold in slow motion and I was like dominoes, just like one thing led to the next led to the next and you're going how do they not see how do they not see this like when they after the games how do they not go into a room with a coach who goes see how you ran off the line here <laughs> that's where you made your mistake next time just stay in your position yeah like because they do it all the time it's like every time we can see it off a corner it's almost the exact same thing and yeah. it's so frustrating that was what that was what did it for me <laughs> fair enough um we do have birmingham this week so it is a chance to right the wrongs but we seem not to be able to do that lately as as you're sort of alluding to there dan um interestingly they don't have any wins in their last five games but they do have four draws in that time one of which was last weekend against west brom so um a pretty reasonable team to pick up a point against um decent firepower up top as well with scott hogan and uh Utuich if I'm pronouncing that right, um, who've both been pretty prolific, uh, uh, Hogan more so with um, Brentford and Villa, I guess, than with Birmingham. Um, and they've got Jude Bellingham in midfield, who I don't know if he'll actually play because I know he's in the process of sealing a deal to Borussia Dortmund. Um, it's a rather talented 16-year-old, but they have they have some pretty decent quality all through the lines, I guess, um, is the biggest issue against them this week. Um, I guess starting with you, Logan, what sort of changes would you like to see in the team um, and how do you think we'll go against Birmingham? I think the, uh, earlier you mentioned the idea of if McCann does want these players who want to be there, it's going to be very difficult to justify starting all these lone players. Mm. Wilkes is an interesting one, so I guess that um, whether they decide to, to look at getting the, the last game out of him or uh, you know kind of letting him because they know that he's not going to be part of the plans moving forward. That would be an interesting one to see. I, I would love to see Stewart come into into play. I think that that, that is crucial. And obviously, if uh, if Lopez is back, then um, he, for me, instantly starts. So to see those two come in, uh, Stewart and Lopez, would, would make a world of difference. And, and I would love to see uh, Ken Lewis Potter start as well. Yeah, we didn't really touch on that with the um, Charlton game that, that both Lopez and Stewart sat out, which... Uh, obviously had a massive impact on our strength through midfield. Um, 
I think Lopez just missed with illness. I don't quite know what the story was with Stewart. Of course, with the athletic article that came out with uh, suggestions as he's our highest player. So I'd kind of try not to, I'd hope that the, uh, the owners aren't making him sit out games just because of his wage or anything as silly as that. But I guess you never really know. Um, Dan, how, how would you like to see the side changed up for this game? Um, uh, there'd be a few changes, I think. Um, look, I think based on the Charlton game, Keenless Potter, James Scott came on, uh, maybe still lacked a bit of, uh, you know, finesse um, in an end product, but they absolutely were throwing themselves at balls in the box. Um, and Samuelson was, was getting through that through that pretty well in that area as well. Um, I think you, you, we have to make some changes in the forward line. I think Wilkes, if he'd played really well on the weekend and, and had a huge impact and won us the game, I could maybe, you know, say, sure, let's play him for the last game and get what we can out of him, m- m- you know, milk him for what he's worth. But had an appalling game on the weekend and did almost absolutely nothing. So I think just put him on the sideline and just let him go back to Barnsley next week. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think in terms of Lopez and Stewart, I think absolutely Kane for me doesn't really do. He, yeah. He's, he's there and he, he you know, but he doesn't really seem to do anything special. He kind of reminds me of like in terms of his distribution and, and the things that he does, he's a, slightly better honeyman i guess like he doesn't do as much up and <laughs> yeah. down running and, and wild but he's still not great in terms of his his passing i don't think um so i yeah i think uh, would, would either I, of you I, would, would either of you consider a change of formation or do you think that's too bold for mcgannis to, i mean mccann to try i'd love to see a change of formation i don't see mccann doing it though um unfortunately he's really set on his um 433 so i think we'll see a 433 on the weekend <laughs> Uh, I think the back four will probably be the same that we see saw on the weekend. I can't see any reason to to bring Burke in in place of McDonald's. As much as I liked the Burke device partnership, I think McDonald and device was was just as effective. Um, so I think the changes would be in that um, midfield. I'd bring in Lopez and Stewart if they're both available, um, and then in a front three, I'd. I'd probably throw KLP, uh, Kim Lewis Potter, and James Scott on the wings, and then flip a coin for probably <laughs> actually probably based on the weekend, Magenis was yeah. slightly better than Eves. Um, so I'd probably go KLP, Magenis, and James Scott um, as my front three. Would you agree on that front three, Logan, or who, who would you I'll, want to I'll, say I've done? I would be happy with the, that front three. I think that um, arguably, it's well, it's it's just it's hard to see where the goals are, are coming from, uh, and that's largely because of the the lack of quality we have in our build-up play. So, I mean, speculating on who plays in those in those front three positions, maybe even a, a step too far at the moment. It yeah. feels like there's a lot more other things that need to uh, need to be fixed first before we're going to be able to uh, be uh, productive with the particularly in the in the goal scoring ranks but um just to see something different i think is is crucial this weekend um we've become very predictable we've become very lackluster and uh, just mistake riddled and i think that if uh, if if we're not to try something new now uh i just can't see how we're going to be able to rectify the the current slide it's 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 almost hard to believe that when we faced Birmingham earlier in the season, that was I believe it was a three 0 win where KLP scored the the sealer at the end of that game with such a composed finish at the KCOM. So um, 
to go from you know it's 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 truly a season of two halves and and I still struggle to believe the fact that on New Year's Day uh, yeah New Year's Day when we won against Sheffield Wednesday we were one point outside the uh, playoffs and haven't mm-hmm. won since so um, yeah it's a bit depressing looking back at fixtures from the first half of that season but yeah look I, I I probably agree with both of you I mean my wishful thinking is I'd love to see a change in formation but I I agree with Dan that you know McGann, McGann loves his four three three he's going to stick to his four three three. Um, and look, if Lopez and Stewart are both fit, I'd love to see them both come into the side. Um, and yeah, K- Scott. KLP, Scott, and um, yeah, probably McGinnis starting up top is our um, our best option um, for for the side because I think I think Scott has had his game to sort of you know bed into the side and, and start to. Um, start to adapt to the championship but we've only got eight games left time's running out we we need to be sort of putting all our chips on the table and 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 like you say sort of going for it and look if we if we go out in Birmingham and lose the game 3-2 I'd probably accept that over another 1-0 loss or even a well, probably take a 0-0 draw because I'd, I'd take the point but you know what I mean like I'd rather see us going out there and trying even if it does mean we're conceding a couple of goals yeah I think um I think that's all we really want at this stage. All we can ask for, really, is we just want them to look like they actually... Like, it's one of those things. We know, like, we we know that there's a joke, and they are trying out there. Like, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that they're not trying, but it just, oh, it just doesn't seem to be working, and I just want, I don't know, just an extra little bit from them. And then um, just quickly before we sign off, um, thoughts, uh, Logan, on Middlesbrough appointing... Neil Warnock, um, do you think that sort of basically takes away a side from this relegation fight, or do you sort of wish that we would follow their lead and, and do something similar, or, or how do you how did you see that one? Uh, yeah, I think that it's exactly what we're talking about with, with with putting our chips on the table and and trying something new. I think that that is Middlesbrough have got to that point where they've realised where the position that they sit isn't good enough, and if they if they don't change something. Uh, they'll consider themselves continuing their slide. So I think it's very proactive from their um, from their management and from the club to actually go and get Warnock, who is is a proven uh, proven manager at this level, and uh, I think he's he's probably uh, a, a pretty good bet that he will uh, get Borough out of the out of the slide. And um, yeah, I'd, I would be very surprised to see if at the end of the season they're in um, in those final three uh, places. I quite liked his comment that uh, he'll enjoy the fact that he has eight games without fans booing him in the stadium, which um, he's, he's always been quite an honest manager in that sense. Um, Dan, what did you make of the appointment? Um, yeah, I think just like Logan, it's a, it's a good proactive decision. Um, I guess we'll just see how it pays off for them. But I think if they're at least willing to, to, to take that chance and, and make a change at this stage, knowing that they haven't been performing well enough, then I think they are on the right track and they probably actually deserve to avoid relegation in that sense. And then um, a score prediction from you, Dan? Oh, I don't know. I was, wait- I was really optimistic last week and now I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, it's so hard. I don't know. If, if we pr- produce anything like we did last week and based on the last uh, you know, 12 games or whatever that we've played, we probably will. Uh, I think we will lose again and we'll just mire ourselves further in the relegation. Probably another frustrating, shitty 1-0 loss. <laughs> what about you, Logan? 
Yeah, it's it's hard to see it falling any other way. I think that yeah. if it's if it's not one nil against us, I think it could be uh, two or three. But I just don't know where our goals are going to come from. The, the the one little bit of silver lining I saw a really uh, interesting tweet from a Birmingham supporter who said that they as a club always they're always that club that apparently because I always feel like it's us but they're always the club apparently who loses to the club in crisis so they're yeah. always the ones that give that that club in crisis a kickstart so I'm hoping that that rings true I'm hoping we come away with a scrappy one nil ninetieth minute KLP goal but um, yeah I mean that's that's with a very optimistic hat on so hopefully the alums don't ban me from the training ground i'm being optimistic i'm not being negative um but we'll we'll see what happens on the weekend and um i guess keep our fingers crossed but uh, until then thanks for thanks for joining us tonight logan yeah no worries it might be our last podcast if uh, some of the things we've said <laughs> get taken down so uh, if, if it is it's been a it's been a good ride it's been a it's been a good ride indeed and thanks for joining us as well dan uh, my pleasure, as always, Alex. No worries. Cheers, everyone, for listening in. Hopefully, this has been a uh, it's been a pretty pretty uh, interesting and lively episode of the Tigers Down Under. And until next time, come on, City! You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group, or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning back, cause you're